This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, hey, New Life. Hope you're doing well. It's been another week of figuring out life, sheltering in place. Uh, We're filming a little bit earlier in our week than we normally do, so our girls are hidden away in our apartment somewhere. So if you hear the little mice in the background, that's probably just them. Hopefully it's not really mice, because that would be a whole other adventure in the middle of shelter in place. Uh, but I, I don't know what's working for you to try and keep your sanity, to try to just maintain another day of, hey, we can do this, we can get through it. But well, one of the things that we've done as a family along the way are just started having some family movie nights. And, and that's been really fun for us. Uh, for me, pulling out some of my old classic favorites that I can't wait to share with my girls, the next generation. So some like high quality films like Three Amigos. Oh, that was so brilliant watching that movie with them. And then uh, we also watched Nacho Libre because I, you know, I wanted them to have a good religious film like because he knows a whole lot about the gospel and stuff. So that was a fun one to watch with them. Uh, and then probably my all-time favorite that we've watched so far, The Princess Bride. Oh my goodness, this is such a great story. I love this story so much. Uh, it just puts a smile on my face. And, and I think one of my favorite characters is this guy, Inigo Montoya. In the, like the, this is just a great character in the story. And if you're familiar with the film or if you haven't seen it, well, I'm going to ruin some of it for you right now, but that's okay. But Inigo's entire life was driven by this moment that happened when he was a kid, when, when his father was killed, was butchered by the six-fingered man because he wasn't going to sell his father this sword. And so Inigo's entire life has been this quest of vengeance against the six-fingered man. And, and there's just this powerful scene in the back end of the movie where Inigo finally discovers where he's at, catches up with the six-fingered man, has this epic fight. It looks like he's about to lose, and then suddenly... Inigo gets back to his feet and just starts this chant, this fight, words that he's practiced his whole life. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And it's this epic moment of vengeance in the movie. And I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, get him, Inigo. And, and you know, when I see a moment like that, it, it just it kind of causes me to step back and ask this question, like, what, what are we supposed to do in our stories when, when the tables turn, when, when we're no longer in that place of powerlessness, but we're suddenly in a position of power, especially power over other people, especially over people who have wronged us in the past? Like, what do we do with that? Because I, I think what we do when we have the upper hand reveals just as much about our faith our, our trust in God as what we do when we're in the powerless places in life. I mean, I, I think maybe even in the powerless places, it's sometimes actually easier to trust God because, I mean, re- really, what choice do I have? All right, God, I'm stuck with you. Okay, here I go. I mean, I'd love to sound more spiritual than that, but sometimes my faith is just, it's at rock bottom and I'm just in that place. God, you're all I got. But when we get back up, like in our life and our story, when, when the tides have turned, and we get on the other side of whatever we've experienced or the hard thing we're going through, and we suddenly find that we have power. What do we do with that? Will we trust God in that moment when we arguably don't need to? When we could say, I, I don't, I'm not stuck. I have a choice now. Are we going to trust Him? 
And so today we're going to be wrapping up the series that we've been in, looking at the life of this guy named Joseph. And, and Joseph is one of those characters in the very early parts of the stories we have in the collection of books in our Bible. And Joseph was this guy that God did some incredible things through his life. And the whole reason we've been looking at his story these last few weeks is we've been wrestling with the reality of our lives today is because there's so much hope in Joseph's story. And as we look at his story, what's, what's the things that we can learn to find hope for our story as we let God meet us right where we're at today? And so we're going to wrap up his story today and just see what happens because Joseph's life has gone completely 180 now. What we saw last week is he's now in this position of power in his life finally. And if you're not familiar with the story, I would just encourage you to check it out, read it. It's in the last part of the first book in our Bibles, the book of Genesis, the last chapters. But I mean, Joseph, when we first met him, he was the 17-year-old kid, favorite in his family, very dysfunctional family, and God gives him these incredible dreams for his life. And in his immaturity, he doesn't know how to handle it. And it's kind of rubs it in his family's face, his older stepbrothers, half-brothers, and they just don't like it. And so this is how close-knit of a family they are. They take Joseph and they sell him into slavery and they ship him off to Egypt. And Joseph's life just seems to spiral for 13 years, just goes from bad to worse. So slavery into wrongfully accused in his master's house to prison and forgotten for years in prison. And, And yet in this one moment of turnaround, God shows up. Well, he was always showing up in Joseph's story, but God lines all this up in Joseph's life. Pharaoh's having these nightmares and he can't make sense of it. And and Joseph is remembered as one who understands dreams. And so he's brought to Pharaoh and and he explains the dreams to Pharaoh that, hey, there's going to be seven years of bounty and harvest followed by seven years of famine. And and somehow in Joseph, Pharaoh sees the guy and he, he makes Joseph second in command in charge of all of Egypt, second only to himself as Pharaoh. And it's this incredible moment for Joseph. I mean, he goes from the prison to the palace in one day. And and I think now the question that we all have for Joseph is now that you're in this position of power, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what you now have? And, And see, for Joseph, the tides have turned in his story. And as we're going to see in just a minute, Pretty soon the tables are going to turn too because he's going to have some time to talk with his older brothers, the ones who ruined his life almost 20 years ago now at this point in Joseph's story. See, this famine that was going on that had, that had taken place wasn't simply localized to Egypt. It was, it was regional. It was far and wide. And so Joseph's family is also caught up in this famine as they're living away in another land called Canaan. And And suddenly they realize we need food. And everyone knows if you need food, you go to Joseph or you go to Egypt to find it. And so this is how the the story begins to develop. In Genesis 42, we're told this, that when Jacob, this is dad, Joseph's dad, heard that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough to keep us alive. Otherwise, we're going to die. And so Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother Benjamin go with them for fear some harm might come to him. And so here's a huge plot development in the story. And up until this moment, we didn't realize this, that, that Joseph has a younger brother. And, and as best we can understand, Joseph didn't know Benjamin at that point in the original story. Like Joseph, Benjamin was born years later, probably after Joseph was already sold in slavery. And, 
And yet this is his biological brother, not a stepbrother. And what we're seeing is the same family dysfunction dynamic that was going on in Joseph's story is going on again because dad is playing favorites once again. So do his older brothers, you're all expendable, go get the grain, but not Benjamin, he's staying close to home. In fact, dad's probably hyper-protective given that he thought Joseph was killed by a wild animal once upon a time. And so Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. And there's only one person you go to to buy grain in Canaan. And so they're going to go and have to ask Joseph for grain. And so since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. So catch this, this is about 20 years have gone by. They don't realize it's Joseph that they're talking to. And Joseph knows it's them. And so he says, where are you from? He demanded. Well, from the land of Canaan, they replied, and we have come to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he had about them from many years before. Because his dreams way back then were that his, his brothers would bow down to him. And he didn't know what that meant. But here's the dream coming fulfilled. And suddenly Joseph is in this position of power over the very people that destroyed and damaged and hurt and harmed him. So what's Joseph going to do? And let me tell you, there's several chapters now that are going to unfold as Joseph's going to begin to almost seem like play some games with his older brothers. And yet what Joseph understands or hears from the story of them is that he has this brother that he's never met. And, and I think the first thing that Joseph wants to know is, are these the same guys? Like, are they doing to this brother I've never met the same things they did to me or have they changed? And so Joseph begins to mess with them, but he's also testing them to see if they're the same guys or not. And, and so some of the things that he does is he says, oh, there's, you have a brother? I, I, you're spies. You're, you're spies. This is a lie. You're here to check out Egypt and destroy us. And so if you really have this brother, you need to go get him and then I'll give you grain. And they're like, well, we can't. Dad won't let us bring him. And and he's like, okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. So he lets them buy grain, but he's like, I'm keeping one of you as a prisoner, kind of as an exchange collateral thing. And if you want this brother back, you need to go and bring back this Benjamin guy so I can meet him. And, and so Joseph takes one of the brothers, Simeon, and he's kept in prison in Egypt. And the brothers go back with the grain and they tell dad, they tell Jacob everything that just happened. And you know what Jacob's response is? Sucks to be Simeon. There's no way I'm sending Benjamin back. Could you imagine being a part of this family? They will not come for you if you need help. And so they just leave Simeon there, hanging out in Egypt, kicking it as a prisoner with Joseph. And Simeon doesn't know who Joseph is at this point. And so some time goes by. I mean, they just forget all about Simeon. Time goes by and they run out of food again. And so their only option is to go back to Egypt to buy more grain. And so Jacob's like, guys, go get more food. And they're like, we can't go unless Benjamin comes. He said we couldn't return. And so finally Jacob relents and lets them take Benjamin to them. And so they head back to Egypt and they meet Joseph again. And Joseph sees his brother Benjamin. And there's some moving things that happen because Joseph has to leave the room and starts weeping because there's just so much emotion in this. And and yet he begins to test the brothers again. And so they buy grain. They have this huge meal. Joseph plays favorites with Benjamin at the table just to kind of just lavish him with gifts. Then they head back and Joseph has all their money put back in the sacks of grain and his special cup put in Benjamin's sack. 
And that night, the brothers on their way home open all their bags to check their supplies and realize they have all the money. Plus, it looks like Benjamin stole from this dude. They realize they're in trouble. And so they go, they go back the next day to try to clear things up. And they start talking to Joseph. And Joseph, again, testing them. You're spies. You tricked us. You stole from us. This younger brother is now my prisoner. And, and his brother responds his brother judah says these words to joseph in genesis 44 he says says no my, my lord i guaranteed to my father that i would take care of the boy i told him if if we don't bring him back to you i'll bear the blame forever so please my lord let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers for how can i return to my father if the boy isn't with me I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. Check that. This is Judah. This is the same brother that said, let's sell Joseph as a slave who's now offering himself to be a slave to save Benjamin. It's just pause for a minute and think that maybe God has done a work in the last 20 years in Judah's life, that maybe he's not the same guy who so wronged Joseph. And Joseph is so moved by this because he realizes that something's changed in their story, not just his. And so we're told that Joseph could stand it no longer. And there were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And, and then he broke down and wept. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. And my father, is he still alive? <laughs> but his brothers were speechless. I mean, they were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. I mean, can you imagine what this moment is like for these guys? I mean, suddenly they realize, oh, you're Joseph. I mean, this is their uh-oh moments. I mean, what's going to happen to them now? They're completely at the mercy of Joseph. And what's Joseph going to do? And the amazing thing is that Joseph comforts and reassures his brothers, the very guys that wronged him. And this is what he tells them. He says, hey, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. And so catch this. I mean, here's Joseph. He has all the power. He has the position to do whatever he wants to his brothers, to these guys who have wronged him so badly. But instead of using his power and position to get even with them, to pay them back, he uses it to take care of them, to do good toward them. And, and again, I'm so amazed by this. Like Joseph is just a case study of what does it look like to walk with God in a way that your life looks radically different. I'm so amazed by this because what I see going on here with Joseph in this moment, it really challenges me to consider what would I do? Because let, let me just be honest with you. If, if you had wronged me, like deeply wronged me and, and something turned in our relationship and suddenly I have the upper hand, I have the position of power, I'm not sure I'm going to do good things toward you. I might be neutral at best. And yet Joseph understood something about how God had been a part of his story and 
what God had done in his story, even through all those difficult, hard, painful things he went through. And it had changed his whole perspective, so much so that he could say to his brothers, hey, you did this thing to me, but it was actually God at work because God was actually doing a bigger thing in all of our stories. And as I think about that, I think, what, what does that mean for you and me? What does that look like for our life right now as we're going through hard times? Because I think the reality is there's going to be a day coming where we're on the other side of the hard things that we're going through. And, and do we have that same perspective as Joseph? Do we have that same perspective of what God is doing in our stories today? I mean, here's the question. Do we trust that God is big enough to bring good into our stories? Do we trust that God can do something good in our stories, even in the midst of the hard things and the things that hurt so much right now? One of the early Christian leaders, a guy named Paul, echoes this theme of God being able to do good things in one of his writings. In Romans 8.28, he writes these words. He says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. And I don't know if you've ever heard this verse before, but I think sometimes what we do is we say, like, you know, everything happens, that God causes everything to happen. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying everything is good, because I think that would actually be a lie. There are things in this life that are not good. We're experiencing one of them right now. But what Paul is saying is that God is so good that he can work in the midst of the things that aren't good to do amazing things in our life and in our story. A couple of weeks ago, I don't even remember when, I can't remember time right now in the middle of COVID, but we were just kind of talking as a family and my oldest girl, Indy, and I were just kind of talking about this idea of hope and what does it mean to have hope? And, and we were just trying to imagine, can you imagine if God wasn't a part of the story? What, what would it even look like to try to have hope that there's something good that we could have, not just on the other side of COVID, but that there, there, there's a hopeful day coming in all of our stories? And, and I, I don't know where you're at, tuning in, watching, listening in. Maybe you're wrestling with that question, is, is God real and is God even a part of my story? And you're just wondering, is such a thing possible? And I would just want to encourage you to do something real simple. Just lean into Jesus right now. Lean into Him and just say, hey Jesus, if this is real, if you're, if you're it, would you, would you just help me understand that? Would you make yourself known to me? Get a hold of a thing called the Bible, download the app, just start reading the stories about Him and and let Jesus maybe surprise you and meet you in this time. Call a friend and say, hey, I, I know you're into that Jesus guy. Tell me more about it. But I think something cool happens when we wrestle with that question of whether or not God is big enough. Do we trust him to bring good in our stories? It creates all kinds of potential for hope in the midst of whatever we're facing. And I look at Joseph's story and I think there's, there's something that we can see in that, that one way we can discover whether or not we're actually trusting God is what do we choose to do with the wrongs we've experienced in life? Here's what I mean. Like, are we willing to do this beautiful, powerful, difficult thing that Jesus invites us into called forgiveness? Are we willing to forgive others the wrongs that they have done to us? Because let me tell you, that's, that's a significant act of trust in God. 
And maybe we just need to get clear on, on forgiveness a little bit because I, I don't know if we're always clear on what that means. But let me just I tell you, I don't think forgiveness is certain things. For instance, I, I don't think forgiveness is turning a blind eye to what someone has done. Just kind of ignoring it. Like, oh no, nothing happened. Like, no, if forgiveness is required, something has happened and it's not something good. I also don't think that forgiveness is pretending that everything is okay. Like, okay, you hurt me, but no, it's okay. Like, no, no. like it's, it's not putting on a mask and acting like everything's fine. Like, again, if forgiveness is needed, there is something that is not okay. And I think another thing that we got to recognize about forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean restoration of a broken relationship. I, I think forgiveness is a necessary part of a bigger process called reconciliation, but you don't have to have a restored relationship in order to give forgiveness to another person. I mean, if that was the case, how could we ever forgive people that have wronged us that aren't in our story anymore? How could we forgive people that have wronged us that have passed away? There's no hope of restoration in those relationships, but we can still choose forgiveness toward them. See, because ultimately this is what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is acknowledging that we've been hurt, that we've been wrong, calling it for what it is, and then trusting God to meet us in those places of hurt and to deal with all of it. It's about letting go of my right to return the favor to you, the thing you've done to me, and trusting God to work in all the hurt and all the stories. It's trusting God to, to deal with our hurt and pain as he leads us into healing and peace. And it's trusting God to deal with them with those people who have wronged us and hurt us. It's, it's trusting that God is gonna sort it out with them. Just like I need him to sort it out with me when I'm the one who needs forgiveness. And I see there's something incredible about that, that there's something beautiful that forgiveness can do as we begin to walk in that area of faith and trust with God. As we take that step of trusting God, forgiveness, leads us into freedom. <laughs> it's amazing. Fre freedom from being bound up in our bitterness and, and stuck in our past. Freedom so we can begin to move into our future, just like Joseph moved into his future because he was trusting God with his story. Uh, let me tell you, I think there's a lot of things we're going to have to work through as we're going through this, this year of 2020, as we're sheltering in place and figuring out life. I think some of us are going to have strains in our relationships that we just never had to deal with before. And we're going to have to figure out what it looks like to walk in forgiveness together. I think some of us are going to have to figure out how do we forgive our governments? Because whatever our view or perspective is, it can feel like they're making choices that are fundamentally damaging my life. What does it look like to forgive a system what does it look like to sort out our pain with God and say, God, I, I don't know if I need to forgive you because that would mean you did something wrong, but I need to wrestle this out with you. And, and I think when we begin to invite God into those places with us, it's an opportunity to let him work and lead us in the freedom so we can move into a better future. Because I think there will be nothing more tragic for us than if we get on the other side of COVID and we get into 2021, 2022, 2023, but we find out we're still stuck living back in 2020. And see, when you begin to trust that God is big enough to bring good into your story, oh, 
we start to let go of all the hurt and find this newfound freedom to enjoy all the good that God wants to lead us into, that God wants to do in our stories. And see, as we learn to trust God with our lives, as we learn to trust God with our stories, that He is big enough to bring good into our stories, I think we should begin to ask the question, how do we look sort of like Joseph? How do we use the positions of power then to do good when the good has come into our life? How do I leverage that for the sake of another person? I mean, what does it look like to take hold of all the, the good stuff that God is going to bring us and leverage it for the benefit of others? Because again, this is what we see Joseph doing with his story, with all the good that God brought into his life. See, God had positioned him for a purpose. And Joseph leveraged his position and his newfound power to change the story. And not just his own story, but to change the story of his family and the stories of countless other people. See, when he held all the cards, when he had the upper hand, he understood that his power and his position were meant for good, to bring healing and hope and not to perpetuate a cycle of brokenness and dysfunction in his family. So Joseph's story fast forwards to the very last book in Genesis chapter 50 and, and we come to some realizations about what he understood with his own family and his story. And so dad finally passes away, Jacob dies. And, and so Joseph goes to bury his father in his homeland and he's returning to Egypt now and his brothers are coming with him and they're kind of freaked out. What is this going to mean now? Is Joseph only being nice to us because dad was alive? And so this is what we read that after burying Jacob, after burying dad, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show us his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Hey, before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. So they make up a story. Hey, dad said you had to forgive us. And when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. I mean, I, just, I love the tender heart that Joseph has. Someone who should have been so bitter, so jaded. God had such a hold of his heart that he was broken over his brother's inability to get past their own mess. And, and in, he says to his brothers as they threw themselves down before Joseph, they say, look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. See, Joseph knew the truth of those words that in all things God had worked for good in his story. And so he says, he, that God brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. 
See, this is so powerful because in this moment, Joseph broke a generational cycle of dysfunction in his family. I mean, he could have paid them back. He could have punished them. He could have just damaged them and done wrong and continued to perpetuate the cycle of dysfunction. He could have just simply chosen to turn his back on them and ignore them. But instead, he used his power to bring healing into everyone's story. So again, what about us? What will we do when we're brought to those places where we're experiencing the good that God has for us? Like, do we trust God enough to leverage our position and rewrite the story? See, we can use our position to perpetuate the cycles of brokenness in our our story, lashing out at the people that have wronged us and hurt us along the way. We could use our position when God brings good in our life merely for our own benefit, ignoring the opportunities to to bring healing and hope to other people and their stories, or we can leverage our position just like Joseph to help others. Like you can leverage your position today as God's at work in your story to help others because just like Joseph, God always positions us. He positions you for a purpose. And so maybe, maybe in your story, there's a, hurt, a lot of hurt in the past. Maybe you've experienced abuse. But in Jesus, you're finding healing as he's leading you into something better, overcoming shame in your story. And what I would want to say to you is leverage your story. Because there are others who need to know that same hope of healing, that shame doesn't have to define them when Jesus shows up in their story. I mean, maybe your life was shattered the day they walked out on you. That partner, that parent, that friend, and And yet Jesus has showed up in your story and he's putting the pieces of you back together again. Oh, you've got a story to leverage because other people need to know that Jesus can put them back together again as well. I mean, maybe once upon a time, your your marriage was broken, like seriously broken, and you didn't know if you were going to make it. And yet for some reason, you both chose to lean in and fight for each other as you invited God to be a part of it. And he turned things around in your story. Listen, you've got a story to leverage. People need to know that there's hope if both parties are willing to ask God to do a work. Leverage that story. And maybe for you, you were sick once upon a time, like at death's door, like the doctors gave you the final countdown. And And God intervened, showed up, provided cure, provided health, did something in your story. Like you kicked death in the face and you're breathing today because you have a story to leverage of a God who meets us at death's door and does something amazing in our stories. It's friends like God doesn't waste our pain and he can and will redeem the darkest parts of our stories. And God always positions us when he brings good into our life for a purpose so that we can leverage where we're standing today for the benefit of those around us. So don't waste the story of what God's doing in your life because your family needs you. Your coworkers and colleagues need you. Your city needs you. Your church needs you. We need you. 
to leverage the good that God is doing in your life so that you can change the stories of people around you. Because when God is on the move in your story, listen, it's never over. It's always just getting started. And so I love what we can learn from Joseph. There's so many things we can learn about his story to give us hope for our stories today. And, and as we wrap up the series today, I, I want to encourage you, don't just check it off and move on. Like grab hold of what God has shown you and ask him to show you what that means and how you can begin to work that out in your life. If you need to go and read the story for yourself and just spend some time in the last part of Genesis and just say, God, show me what else you have for me. Maybe revisit the things that we've talked about. Go back and re-listen to some of the old messages. But don't miss that God has something for you in this story, for your story today. And I think maybe for some of you, this is what you need to walk away with today. Man, hold on to hope. Hold on to hope because God's not done with your story. Joseph went through 13 years of darkness before God elevated him to the place of position and power in his life. And he had over 60 years of goodness on the other side. Friend, God's not done. Hold on to hope. For some of you, maybe this is what you need to walk away with today. You're in a spot where God has given you good things. So leverage your position today for the benefit of those around you. If God is blessing you, always know he doesn't bless you simply just for you. He blesses you so you can be a part of blessing others with your story. And see, Joseph knew who God was in his story. He knew he was a child of God. And so are you. And so am I. And dad wants to do good things in our life. Dad wants to do good things through us. And so maybe, maybe we could be like Joseph in this season. And man, that's my prayer for us, New Life. May we be a church that holds on to hope as we leverage our stories for the benefit of others because God is too good to keep just to ourselves. Jesus has a life for every person and we get the chance of leveraging our stories in the hopes that they will meet Him too. So God bless you and I hope that you have a great day. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.